True Believers, this is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 32 of the show. And we are continuing our journey through the early days of Marvel Comics. Over the last three episodes, we have done quite the journey through Marvel's biggest month so far of July 1963. But this month's no slouch either, because we got some good stuff going on in August, too. Um, in fact, I think every book we're going to talk about in this episode has some pretty you know, important significance. So this is episode 32, mm-hmm. which means we've done this 32 times. We have. And this is the first time I figured out that you should start the show by saying, hey, true believers. <laughs> <laughs> so we need to re-record 32, 31 episodes. We're going to George Lucas them all to pieces. Oh, yeah. Special edition. I like it already. Okay. And it works because Marvel and Star Wars. Hey, yeah. That's right. Um, when is DC going to buy Star Trek? That'd be interesting. Um what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. Good. <laughs> you sound like you were going to say something. So Sorry. I was like trying to figure out what good comics we were going to talk about tonight. And now I remember. We're going to talk about Thor and probably um, Ant. Oops. No, we're not going to talk about Ant-Man. I guarantee you. No more you. Ant-Man. Nope, nope, no nope. more Ant-Man. And we're going to talk about Human Torch, hopefully. But, and uh, Doctor Strange. And Doctor Strange. That's right. So, yeah, we've got some really big stuff because this is the month where Journey into Mystery is returned to the highly capable hands of Jack the King Kirby. Mm-hmm. And he is going to begin his epic run on Thor. I feel like there are three epic Kirby runs in Marvel in the Silver Age. Okay. I feel like you've got the Fantastic, Fantastic Four, Four. Sure. And you've got Thor. Mm-hmm. And you've got Captain America. Yeah. And right now he's doing other stuff. He's got the Avengers, he's got the X-Men, but he's going to phase those out. And after all, it's just going to be those three books every month until he leaves Marvel. And if you like the war books, kids, I would say so far his art on that has been pretty epic, too. You can tell he's putting a lot of energy into Sergeant Fury. But that's not really a superhero book, so I don't know if people even think about it. But yeah, he uh, he puts some time in that book, I think. There were several people who were wanting to make sure that we were, in fact, going to cover Sergeant Fury because on our trailer mm-hmm. that we like, you know, I, I mentioned convincing you to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, people have said, that we, you're doing Sergeant Fury, right? So so there are people who love Kirby Sergeant Fury. Yeah. I mean, it counts. It's part of, you know, dang that Reed Richards guest appearance. Now it has to count. But Right, right. But uh, yeah, I don't know that your average superhero guy even thinks about those kind of books. So if you yeah. love Kirby and you've never checked it out, check it out because I think it's as good. It's just as good as his Fantastic Four art at this time. Okay. So shall we go into our first book? You shall. I shall. Uh huh. Oh, that's right. It's my turn, isn't it? I did Crimson Dynamo, which was how we ended last show. Okay. Um, okay. Well, well, good. So we're in <laughs> August. Um, I guess it's not I, a commie. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's finally not. Uh, first week of August has uh, August 1st, 1963 as the shipping date. And our two comics that we're going to talk about came out August 1st. And the first of those two is Journey into Mystery 97. It's a super special issue, Mike. That's good. Uh, Lee and Kirby combine talents to bring you Mighty Thor battling the amazing Lava Man. Also beginning in this issue, Tales of Asgard, 
fantasy and legend from the home of the mighty Thor. So that's the copy on the cover. Now I've got to recap this without looking at it, right? That's right. Um, that's our game that we play. So, okay. <laughs> um, I think Thor's just being cool and saving people. Mm-hmm. He like saves a dude from a falling plane and um, takes him off, you know, and gives him an ambulance and everything. And then the people like see him do this. They're like, oh my gosh, Thor, you are so awesome. We got to get your pictures. We want to get you an interview. We're going to put you in the papers. And Thor's like, um, uh, no, 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 please. Thank you. No, I, I'm going. And he skadooshes away. Um, he goes to the roof of his um, building and smacks his hammer to turn into Don Blake. Um, he goes into his office. Oh, oh, okay. So in the background in several different parts of the opening action of this story, there's like newspaper articles, uh, a newspaper like criers and stuff talking about um, some sort of creature uh, and a volcanic eruption and approaching the city and all this stuff. So that's like in the background, which is cool Kirby storytelling. We'll come back and talk about that more later. Don Blake goes to his office and Jane Foster is there. She's doing an inventory of the supplies and he's like, I want to tell her I love her. I want to tell her I love her. Jane, Jane, I, I, yes, doctor. What is it? Please tell me anything. And he's like, ah, I'll, I'll tell you later. I got to go think of something first. <laughs> and she's like, Fine. Tell me later. You know, a girl can only wait for so many laters or words to that effect. Good night, doctor. And she leaves. And Don sloops in his chair. He's like, oh my gosh, I've got to get permission from Daddy Odin before I tell this woman that I love her. I I, I can't hold it in any longer. I, I need to tell her I love her. So he turns into Thor and calls Daddy Odin on the phone. And Daddy Odin's face appears in the sky. And uh, he says... Um, it's kind of like, it's kind of like that scene in police Academy, whenever Mahoney and the Sergeant are calling the commandant to see if he can get out of the police Academy. And it's like, can I get out of here? No. Okay. Bye. <laughs> That's basically what it is. He's like, so I know you told me I can't tell this girl that I love her, but can I tell her that I love her? And I was like, oh, are you out of your mind? And, Odin, and Thor's like, oh, oh, okay. 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 Just asking. Nope. Okay. Crap. Um, meanwhile, there's a lava man coming and Loki thinks it's really cool. And so he's going to just like enjoy it. Cause he's still chained up after the Avengers episode, last issue, last, ep- last, last episode. Um, and Don knows nothing about the lava man. We go back to see Don and he's chilling out in his office and Jane comes in and she says, doctor, can I talk to you? he's like, sure, I want to talk to you, too. I've made a decision. And she says, well, I've made a decision, too. I'm leaving. I can't work with someone that I might accidentally love if he won't, like, stand up for his love for me and stuff. So I'm going to go work for this other doctor. And it's not weird at all that he's going to be romantic toward me whenever I just work for him. Um, And Don's like, well crap, I guess I spaced on that one and lost my chance for Jane. Okay, well, where's Sif? No, he doesn't say that. Uh-huh. Um, huh? I was going to say, that, that'd be a real uh, new take. But years from now, whenever Jane Foster does leave the story for, you know, for a while, it is literally the same issue. He's like, goodbye, Jane. Oh, look, it's Sif. Well, who can blame him? 
<laughs> right, because it's freaking Sif. Although Natalie Portman, I don't, I don't know, Jamie. Yeah, okay. that's, that's true. Anyways, okay, so Don Blake is walking through the town, and suddenly the army's like driving by. Neener, neener, army, 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 and uh, there's a lava man. There's a man made of lava. He's pink and burning and has purple lava shorts. And he's walking into town and he's like burning everything in his path. And his whole shtick is that like the, the surface people have had the surface long enough and he wants to come and take the earth back. So he and Thor fight and um, the lava man tries to wrap Thor up in ashes, which kind of works for a little while. But then he like flexes his muscles and breaks through the ashes. So the lava man turns into like a giant lava pillar and tries to fall on him. He uses his hammer to make a whirlwind and send him off into space. Only doesn't go into space, just goes far enough to like land in another volcano. And uh, I think he smashes the top of the volcano to like make it cave in on the guys. Like, okay, that was fun. Where's Jane? So he goes back to his office and finds Jane there with new doctor, new doctor dude. Um, I don't know what his name is. Tony Doc- Stark, I think. The, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it looks a little like Tony Stark. And the thing that I remember rubbed me wrong about this scene that I was snarking about earlier is that he has his arm around Jane. Mm-hmm. And so it's the words on the page are, I'm leaving your nurse position, Doc, and I'm going to go be the nurse for this other Doc. But it really looks like we're breaking up, Don. I've got my new boyfriend and we're going to go now. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Don's all sad that he's lost Jane, and now he's just got to go be a lonely thunder god forever. The end. Oh, that's Aww. a real downer. I hope there's another issue. I hope there are 700 more issues. Okay, good. And maybe the last one will end happy. <laughs> they always, it's either a happy or a cliffhanger, right? Oh, 700 issues later, and he's still not happy? That'd be really disappointing. Right. So I'm assuming that you probably have the same context for the Lava Man coming into this issue that I have. Context. The, the fact that he, he was in Avengers number five with the other Lava Man, and that's all we know about him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In terms of that, yeah, that's all <laughs> I know about him. Instead of Lava Man, he becomes Lava Men. Right. But Loki is- refers to him like he's like this one guy who's tortured Earth before or something. Right. Uh, where did he say that? It is the work of a new menace who has appeared upon Earth, a menace known as the Lava Man. I had forgotten about him, although it was I who brought him to the surface as a sinister prank when I mentally caused a long-dead volcano to erupt. So maybe he just assumes there's only one and maybe there's a bunch and they all look alike. That's fine. You could pass that off. Maybe he so. just found him under the ground one day and said, Shploop, now you're on the surface. Mm-hmm. And then he forgot about him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Kirby is so like... You know, we make fun of this book as being like the Superman book. Mm-hmm. Ant-Man's the Batman book, and and this is the Superman book. But I think when Kirby's on it, and he hasn't been on it in a while, it feels way more like a Thor book. Mm. Uh, because he does not draw Thor fights like Superman fights. I don't really know how he would draw Superman fights, but he likes Thor fights. Um, they're very godly. They're always all over the place. There's always tornadoes and there's volcanoes and there's like smacking mountains in half with one blow with his hammer. And it's just like, I don't really read this and think Superman anymore. And I'm just flipping through the pages and there's not a single pose that Thor makes in this Mm -hmm. that I can really see Superman making. Right. Maybe they were getting specific complaints along those lines. Um, I, I think it's just his style because... Like the first couple issues, I didn't really think about Superman either. And it wasn't until they changed artists and suddenly it was like, 
Or maybe they changed artists and also the writing was not as good at that point for some reason. Maybe because Kirby was gone. I don't know. What do you, what do you think of uh, Don Hex inking over Kirby? I think it all the like uh, office scenes and stuff look straight up Don Heck to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm thinking those were like maybe where Kirby kind of just, if he did anything, it was like a really basic layout. Because all those face, faces look like Don Heck. But then when you get to the fight scenes, like that's very Kirby. Yeah, I had similar thoughts because Kirby tends to have shortcuts with his faces. Mm-hmm. But Don Heck, t- I mean, like the Loki faces on, say, page six, those yeah. are very Kirby. Right. The big but eyeballs the, and all that. Yeah, but the other faces are very, very, very Don Heck. Mm-hmm. I don't usually like Heck inking himself in Iron Man, but I think he does do well with giving some extra flesh and depth to Kirby here. Yeah, Kirby's not great with civilians. so, And I think that's where Don Heck is, is kind of good is the talking head panels because – that's probably from advertising or something. Right. I really enjoyed um, the page two scene whenever Thor got scared of all the people. Uh-huh. And the caption on that was great. It was like, and then the mighty Thor, the powerful, dauntless god of thunder who fears nothing that lives, nothing that breathes, races from the scene nervously before the onslaught of hero worshiping reporters and well wishers. <laughs> yeah. Like, what kind of god doesn't want to be worshiped? That's new. That's that's a worthwhile point. I did not think about it that way, but yeah. I, I mean, mean I, I mean, if that was Hercules, he'd probably stand there and sign autographs. Basket it, yeah. Yeah, but Thor, stroke my pectoral muscles. Thor has, I guess, never been like that in Marvel, but um, at one point he was worshipped. So I don't know. And if I recall right, from the things that um, our uh, expert friend Gene Hendricks has said, Norse gods aren't really about all the worship. Mm-hmm. Um, less so than the, like the Roman and Greek and you know Judeo Christian deities. They're just there to do a job and yeah, and explain why things happen. Yeah, yeah, Thor. He's just some guy, you know. Why does it rain, uh, Thor? So okay, Jane knows how Dawn feels. Yes. She says as much. Yes, she seems to be receptive to and even reciprocal of those feelings. Yes. So why is she putting on this pressure on a declaration of love? Why can't they just like spend time together and grow? Well, he's not even doing that. So this is like the first time maybe ever that I've in some way liked Jane in mm-hmm. this issue. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right about the whole like he's just she's going from one hookup doctor to another. That's kind of awkward and very 60s, I guess. But uh, I like that if you think about it from her point of view, she doesn't know about Odin and forbidding him or any of that. She has this guy who supposedly likes her. He's a full grown man and a doctor and mature, but he's always just like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know today. Oh, I got to go lock myself in a closet for an hour or whatever. Right. So from her point of view, it's probably just like enough is enough. I have more self-respect than that. And I'm just not going to hear it from you. I'm not going to hear the waffling anymore. If you were interested, you would have asked me out already. I really like that headcanon because it gives Jane a lot of agency. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So the only issue is the fact that she has this creepy new Tony Stark doctor, and I'm not sure if she's interested in him, in him romantically or if the, we're just assuming that they're <laughs> like, because that's his nurse. So now he gets to hook up with her. I don't know how that works, but. Okay. Side note go to page six mm-hmm. and uh, look carefully at the name on the door. N- on page six? I don't even see a door. 
Uh, I'm sorry, page four. I'm sorry. Ah, okay. Let me try that again. Page four door. Dr. Don Drake? <laughs> Whoops. Whoops. It's the same in the um, the digital remastered for the uh, download, too. Dr. Don Drake. Oh. Hey, is that where they got the uh, Madman guy? Donald Could Drake. be. Or no, that's Drape. Draper. That's Never Draper. Mind. Never mind. Um, so I liked, I did like the call, though. The, uh, hey, can I date her? And he's just like, petition, refuse, click. That was funny. Right. <laughs> it, it was almost like you he just hung up the phone. You are my favorite son until yeah. you are being dumb. So Odin doesn't explain himself again, though. And you can assume it's because he just doesn't want his son to marry a mortal because that's beneath him or something. But he doesn't ever say that. He just says, the god of thunder marrying a mortal, it is impossible. Maybe there's some rule we don't know about yet. Well, they and this is actually done during another artist's um, story. So I kind of actually think it's kind of cool that Kirby is bringing it in because it's going to be such a major part to his drama for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was another artist that told that had drew the story of where Odin forbids him, mm-hmm. and I think I think it's yeah the god of thunder marrying a mortal that because haven't we established that Odin likes humans? We I, have. I seem to recall. So it's not like he thinks they're like lowly creatures or anything but maybe it could it could be that he doesn't want a god to marry a human or maybe there's some other reason we don't know maybe he does think that they're lowly i mean he loves them and cares about them as lesser beings Mm -hmm. rather than i mean because i mean these are gods and they're humans and no totally possible i also was really happy to see the thousand these Mm -hmm. it was only with odin Oh, was it? No, I feel like he's talking more Thor-like since Avengers. Um, he could be. He doesn't say thou and thee when he's fighting uh, the Lava Man, but he says back you demon from nameless depths. That's not very uh, Donald Blake either. It That's, is a little bit heightened. You're right. It's more poetic in his dialogue now, which started with Avengers 1. The depths are his to command. He is a foe worthy of my metal, but he must be defeated. Yeah. Do my- go ahead. Do my ears deceive me, or do I he- seem to hear laughter, sinister chortles ringing down from above? Yeah, he doesn't talk like that when he's Donald Blake. Right. So, if anybody ever wondered when does Thor start talking like Thor, I say Avengers 1. That's definitely a big shift in that direction, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't look like Loki is on the Isle of Silence anymore. Well, he's just got the floaty eyes, doesn't he? Oh, no, he, there is that panel before that, huh? Yeah, he's on the balcony of some sort of structure. I don't even get the point of, like, even when he's on that whatever, it doesn't stop him. Right. So what? It's like, well, I'm going to put him in prison, Thor, but he'll still have all his powers and he'll still be able to see everything. So basically put him in his prison is pointless. Okay, thanks, Dad. You know, like, <laughs> like it doesn't stop him. He can see everything. He can affect people. He can imbue them with abilities. He can uh, apparently, uh, well, I guess he just watched the lava, man. He didn't have anything to do with it. Boy, does uh, he just release him to the surface? Oh, is that what he said? He said he I did before, so. a long time ago. Well, see, I read that as something that he had done like just now. Oh, like, maybe, maybe just like yesterday. Well, he that said devastated area below is the work of a new menace who's appeared on Earth, a menace known as the Lava Man. I had forgotten about him. It was I who brought him to the surface as a sinister prank when I me- uh, mentally caused a long dead volcano to erupt. See, I kind of thought that all of that was in the background to this story. I see. I read it as. I forgot about him, though there was that one time at band camp that I <laughs> let him like roam the earth. But yeah, that probably makes more sense. But it's like he just has to be in every issue, I guess. 
I guess. And I do kind of like that Loki is sort of always in the background of Thor's life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does make it a little bit less powerful whenever he actually comes to the fore. Like, even when he's not the villain, he's always responsible for the villain, it seems like. Or almost always. Yeah. And speaking of the villain, it's kind of weird seeing the Lava Man so villainous and, and bigoted in this issue when he turns out to be like the sympathetic character in the next story. Yeah, we'll have to compare. I can't remember how that story goes, so we'll have to compare this one when we read that one again. I just remember there was a lot of Lava Men, and the Avengers yeah. fought them. And if I remember right, like all the other Lava Men, especially the High Priest dude, are very much like this Lava Man. But this Lava Man is like, no, no, I've seen the air of our ways. It well, be- maybe when you get hit by Thor's hammer and then thrown into the volcano, you, you start finding peace. Especially the hammer hits you right that special spot in the back of the head that switches your personality. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good spot. Okay, toward the end of the story, whenever they're fighting, page 11, um, he's in the volcanic ash cocoon, and it says, at that incredible instant, if any human eyes could have witnessed the sight, they would have seen the body of Thor actually glowing as though charged with unimaginable force. And I'm intrigued by the notion that Thor can, like, Dragon Ball himself up. That he can just, like, concentrate so much that he glows. Yeah. Either that or, like, he's... I don't know if he's creating lightning around him or something. But, yeah, it did seem like he just... I want to get even stronger. So, level two. Right. Yeah. And, um... I'm running out of things to say. I like the, um... I don't want to get too adult here, but at some point he says something like, isn't he happy that he gets can get into a fight because he's so frustrated with the whole Jane thing? Yeah, yeah, he does say that. I where can't remember that? where he says that, but I thought that was amusing. Like, you know, <laughs> I, can't, I can't get anywhere with Jane, so hey, at least I can beat the heck out of this monster. This is what I needed. Action. Yeah. Combat. A foe to lash out at. Not for me are the romantic pursuits of human beings. I was born for battle. My limbs ache to smash and shatter. <laughs> I thought that was funny. That is fun. Um, yeah, so Jane's point at the end of the story is pretty valid, like you were saying earlier. She says, you know, it's it's too late for you to insist or plead. I, I wanted, I hoped you would return. I hope you would finally say what I long to hear. But even while the lava man was threatening the city, you didn't even care enough to find me. Yeah. So that's, that's harsh, but it's 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 real. This is interesting because this is a little little Superman-y right there. You know, Clark, mm-hmm. where were you? But this is a Lois Lane who actually likes Clark. Right, which, which I think is, makes a difference. Yeah, big difference. Although she also likes Superman, but still. Um I think we're going to see a shift in that, too, because I know that it, like in the other uh, storytellers, her mooning over Thor was the big emphasis. And mm-hmm. like her also liking Dawn was sort of a background element. Mm-hmm. And I think we're switching those going forward. Yeah. Before, it was kind of like I'd be interested in Dawn if he did anything about it. But since he doesn't, he's just a nice guy. Whatever. It's too, right. bad, he, it's too bad he's lame. But now this issue is like, you know. Stand up for yourself or something, or I'm going to quit, which she did, I guess. So when we did the Avengers number one recently, mm-hmm. um, one of my notes, I don't think I said, was that that was the best Thor story to date. Mm-hmm. And that was done by Jack Kirby. Right. I don't think this issue necessarily surpasses that one, but it definitely feels like we're in a new vein. It feels like in the same vein as the Avengers issue 
and that those two Thors are the same person, whereas the Thor who fought Mad Merlin feels like a different story. Yeah, I read this and felt as excited as like the first few times we read Thor mm-hmm. when he was fighting off Saturn men or, uh, you know, even that Kami story we make fun of, the second his second appearance, there were still some right. great fights in that. So it's like, yeah, they've upped the game again. He's not, he's not, uh, oh my God, what was that? The duplicator ray one and all that stuff. Oh, right. Forget it. The forget demon it. duplicators. Merlin demon duplicators. Those aliens that just that, that that make crazy laws on that one street so they could take over the world and all that stuff. It's just horrible. <laughs> the carbon copy man. Yeah. This is like straight up. I mean, except for maybe Thor versus radioactive man. That was pretty close to this in a way. But uh, right. But this is straight up like throw a monster at Thor and watch him go to work for 12 pages. That's pretty fun. And the, the Jane Foster drama is going to become yeah. a, a big element thing. It's it's no longer like a, a background sitcom. Yeah, it's they didn't now really do anything. Thing. They weren't doing anything with it, were they? Mm-mm. It was a status quo. Mm. She was just kind of there. The fact that she likes Thor was just a background thing. Yeah. So, yeah, good issue. Definitely, uh, this will be my, my favorite issue of the month. Maybe. Awesome. Maybe. Well, that first story was only 13 pages. It will get extended down the road, so there is still room for two backups, whereas down the road will be only room for one backup. Um, So of the two backups, the first is a non-superhero story. We don't worry about it. But the other is the first installment of Tales of Asgard. Yay. Now, this series is like 50 issues long. So oh it's definitely God. an essential part of Silver Age Thor. This is Jack Kirby's Thor. What's weird is they covered um, the entire thing in this first okay. story. Yeah, we have a um, basically what this is is a creation story. It's five pages. There's about an average of four panels per page. So Kirby's really opening up, and um, theoretically, these stories are based on the actual Norse myths. Now we're going to do a little something special here in a few moments talk about how much that's actually the case but um but yeah okay so i don't even know um i think it talks about like the whole like norse culture about warriors fighting against the 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 brutal weather riding on ships into the you know unknown oceans and how you have to have like a really strong and powerful culture to live this kind of life so where did it all come from um, and the thing is that originally the world was, um, um, trying to remember. I may have to actually look at the pages because, okay. So you had the Norse gods who are called the Aesir. Is that you how had, you pronounce that? Okay. That's how Gene says to pronounce this. That's what okay. I'm going to go with. The Aesir. It's spelled A-E, but it's like a combined A-E. Right. S-I-R. And normally when I see an A-E in an, in an ancient word, I, t- I tend to go with I because that's the Roman Greek version. But this is North, Norse, so different pronunciation rules. And he says it's Azir. Um, and then the bad, the evil influence were the frost giants. Um, and the land uh, was bounded on fi- by fire on the south, I think. And in the fire at the end of the world sat Surtur. Anyone who saw Thor Ragnarok, or who has read the Walt Simonson run of Thor, knows who Surtur is. This big monster. Yeah, take the lava man and multiply him by eleven to the square root of hell. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
Um, so Surtur, huge fire monster, fire sword. Um, and under the world is the waters of life, maybe. Um, and the uh, they're, they're like icy frontiers. Because I guess if you live in the Scandinavian lands, the icy frontier is like a real thing. So often the in the distance were the frost giants who were led by Ymir. Um, and they were able to... Um, there's a magic cow. Yes. <laughs> I remember that. Yes. So Ymir rides a magic cow. Like, that's how he gets around is on a magic cow. And one day the magic cow <laughs> sees, hey, look, there's something sticking out of the ice over there. Hey, look, it's a person. And this was the first of the gods. He was just came out of the ice, like um, Venus fully formed, only it's the ice. And he's not a woman. Um, he's the first of the Norse gods. His name is Bor. And Bor would give birth to... No, no, no. Wrong name. Buri, Buri. is yeah. the first one. Mm-hmm. And Buri gives, uh, uh, finds a wife. And uh, they have Bor as one of their sons. And then a long time later, Bor would become the father of Odin. And Odin would become the greatest of all the gods, the All-Father. And he would watch out on the tree of life growing around Midgard, the home of the mortals, and he's waiting for man to show up, yeah. basically. Yeah, so that's exactly it. I felt very Tolkien-ish whenever I was reading this, mm-hmm. which makes sense because Tolkien, whenever he was writing his stories, was at least in part inspired by the Norse myths. For sure. But I don't know if you've ever read The Silmarillion. No, I haven't read that one. I've read all his, like, the stuff that he published while he was alive, but uh, not the stuff that was finished by other people yet, if so ever. The Silmar- yeah, The Silmarillion was was largely his work Yeah, with with some editing done by... I mean, since Tolkien passed, there's been a lot of stuff of his that's been either published or finished by others, but The Silmarillion is pretty much his, um, and it tells of all of the backstory to Middle-earth, mm-hmm. and... The idea that like mortals were something that were like destined to happen and the world was kind of like really anxious and eager looking forward to this happening was something from that tale as well. Um, but anyways, well, we haven't even think? got to the mortals yet. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, they were in the beginning, I suppose. I like I thought it was cool. I like that it exists. I don't know if that's because like people were writing in like clamoring for more information on what this Norse Norse mythology is all about, or if they just decided it'd be a cool little thing to do, or maybe Kirby was into it or something. I don't know. I'd like to know why it exists, but it's neat that it does. I'm, I'm amazed that you said it, it's going to last for 50 issues. Oh my gosh. But, uh, well, and a lot of that is like the adventures of young Thor and young Loki and stuff like that. Oh, well that'll be fun. Yeah. I thought it was like the history of Asgard for 50 issues. Um, um, yeah, it's neat. You're right. It does have a very Lord of the Rings kind of like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and just go with it kind of feel. Right. Um, like myths tend to do. Yeah. Like, like Ymir, and Ymir had a big magic cow. Okay. And then this thing sprouted out of the ice, and it was a god. Okay. You know? But it's cool. Cool art. The, the magic cow reminded me of that one talking cow woman who's associated with Mount Wundagore. I don't know where her name is. You know what I'm talking about? I have no idea, no. I think she becomes a Doctor Strange character. It's like mm. Boma or something. <gasps> oh, that sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea if they're connected whatsoever. I, I didn't look it up. It just randomly popped in my head. 
Um, the cow thing's a real throw off because like everything up until then is fire and ice. And then it's mm-hmm. like, oh, and by the way, there's this full blooded male, you know, cow mammal thing that walks yeah, around with the, the ice giant. Says, Seconds later, another form of life appeared. This was a gigantic magic cow whose milk provided nourishment for the monstrous Ymir. Mm-hmm. And for ages, Ymir and the magic cow roamed the frozen wastes until they found something stirring in the ice. And that was, and that was the god. Yeah. So Ymir and his favorite cow just, you know, it's kind of like Paul Bunyan. And, and you yeah, know. it's fun. I mean, that's the kind of stuff you just can't make up unless you're a whole mass massive amount of people who need to make up stuff to come up with something to explain things. So that's why mythology is fun to read, I guess. Right. Um, do want to note that the art really opens up in these pages. Like Kirby is doing large panels mm-hmm. and, and really expanding his, his uh, landscape with this. It's pretty great. It reminded um, me of like, you know, Conan, the barbarian books, like at right. least the, the beginning, especially where it's all the humans with swords and stuff. Yeah. Um, I've read the some high, of that. That's the Hyborian age. Yeah, yeah. So there's not a whole lot in this first chapter, but it does promise more to come. And we have something that's going to be a regular part of our journey through these tales of Asgard. And I'm trying to go with a title for this. The best I have so far, and this is terrible, is An Asgardian Tales of the Tales of Asgard. <laughs> because. How about real tales of Asgard? <laughs> the real tales of Asgard. Or I the, like that. The real fake tales of Asgard or something. So um, this is a submission that I asked for from our friend of the show and actual worshiper of the Norse gods, Gene Hendricks. He's Gene Gene, the podcasting machine. He has his own theme song. Da-da-da-da-da-da, Gene. So um, here's what he has to say. For a quick retelling of the Norse creation story, this does a pretty good job. I won't go into the names that are missing, since I don't want to get you guys tongue-tied, except to say that in Old Norse, wives are pronounced like eyes, so the giant's name is pronounced emir. Whoops. Yeah. One of the problems by omission is that the cow sustains herself by licking the salt out of the ice. And that's how Buri is revealed. She's just licking the ice one day for salt, and there's Buri. Okay. He doesn't just spring out fully formed from the ground. She uncovers him from the ice, I guess. I see. The really big issue, though, is the line to the Norsemen, their legendary characters were either all good or all bad. Wrong. First of all, Buri is the only 100% pure god. And that's because the only other beings were the children of Ymir, because he reproduced asexually. That means that Bor and all the gods that came after were at least part frost giant. Now, this isn't to talk about their behavior. Every single one of the gods is flawed, and some of the giants marry into the Aesir, so they come over to the good side. It's less about good and evil than it is about our group and their group. So it's like us versus them. The frost giants are them. We are the Aesir. Therefore, we're the good people. So wait, 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 wait. Because we always look at ourselves as the good people. Not that you wrote this, but I'm going to ask that's, you anyway what he said. Oh, that's kind of me commentating on what he said there. Right. But, but that's the end of Gene's writing. So, Burry hooked up with a frost giant to create these subsequent children? Yes, evidently. So that blonde lady holding all his babies is just like a nanny or something? <laughs> um, or a daughter. Or a daughter, okay. Um, now, the frost giants in this are all depicted, or at least, well, we only see them here. Well, no, there's some other frost giants. They're all like giant ice people like they are in the Thor film. Mm-hmm. But... There are other places in the comics where they just look like overgrown people. Okay. I guess if you're uh, Burry, you can like 
grow in size, I imagine, or something. <laughs> I don't know how that works. You got to oh, work on your techniques. Those gods. Those gods. Oh, my God. Interesting. Yeah. I thought it was because the idea here, whenever I was reading this, is like, oh, we're getting actual Norse myths into this. Mm-hmm. And at least for this first issue, we largely did just a simplified version of the story. Mm-hmm. Well, what's interesting is they probably must know that their Thor does not necessarily resemble a real Tales of Asgard Thor. So are they going to like dig themselves into a hole here if they keep like trying to be all accurate and stuff? I don't know. We're going to have to see. Because maybe you know, they become. A- I've read Earth X. I know all these Asgardians are really just aliens. So <laughs> I've never read Earth X. You should. It's really fun. It's not canon though, probably, but it's still fun. So remember how we used to talk about like the corner boxes on the covers of comics? Uh huh. So our next comic has a new corner box. It does, and it's a pretty good one too. And actually, the previous issue also had a new corner box of Ant Man riding on wa- riding on flying ants. <laughs> yeah. They got for one issue before they changed everything up. I would say so, this is the best corner box we've got so far. That's a really good one. I love it. It's a little, it's giant man holding the wasp in his palm. She's mm-hmm. standing there looking all uh, amazing. Yeah, it doesn't look like a bad driver's license. <laughs> like the Thor one does? Yeah, the Thor one's horrible. <laughs> That's my least favorite one for sure. <laughs> I mean, a man of action, he's just standing there all goofy like someone just told him to smile for a gym membership. Yeah, smile for the camera. That's him um, at the bottom of page four whenever he's like, oh my God, I get away from the people. <laughs> okay. But, okay, so that mean we want to talk about Tales to Astonish now? If you're, if you're ready. I am ready. Let's do it. My turn. So, Tales to Astonish, number 49. Also came out uh, August 1st, 1963. And I'm going to look up the credits really fast. It's by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby also with inks by Don Heck. So, wow, they're just all making the rounds, that trio. And it's called, it says, the beginning in this super special issue. So I guess there's two super special issues. Ant-Man becomes Giant-Man. And then it also says featuring the super menace of the living eraser. And it's like one of the most classic Ant-Man covers, probably. I got to stop calling him Ant-Man. Giant man covers ever. Giant man. That's going to take a while, kids. So anyway, how does this start? It starts out with an old man mowing his lawn. And his neighbor's house gets trashed by a giant. It's a giant dressed all in red. And oddly, unlike most giants who attack houses from the outside in, this giant is attacking, attacking the house from the inside out. So he just smashes through and falls over. And then the giant says... Help me, neighbor, help me. And he goes, ah, oh, giant, and runs away. But it's not really a giant. It's Ant-Man. Did I trick you guys? Um, and he already has help because he has his own personal Robin in the form of the Wasp. And she comes over and gives him one of his, his new pills that we'll talk about in a second. And he shrinks back down. And so what's happening is Hank has been working on some new power ideas. Instead of being an ant, why not be a giant? Because Wasp is already tiny. So now I'll just be huge and punch people and stuff. Um, he's sporting a new outfit, which looks a lot like his old outfit, except instead of the rad Ant-Man helmet, now he just has like kind of a Captain America cow with like, uh, ant antenna things like coming out of his forehead, essentially. Um, anyway, he runs some tests and figures out that he needs to stay about 12 feet tall or under. Otherwise the mass becomes too much and he can't sustain the weight and he falls over like he did earlier and can't move and help. I can't mom. I can't get up. So, uh, meanwhile, we cut to the, uh, neighbor who was mowing the lawn. He runs to the police and he tells them, help me, help me. My neighbor's house got attacked by a giant. And they're like, yeah, yeah, 
we're busy because all these scientists are getting erased by this green Martian guy, and we got to figure out who that guy is first before we can help you with your giant problem. And sure enough, there is a green Martian, but not really Martian, alien-looking guy who's going around, and he's hiding in a bush, and he accidentally gets discovered by a hot dog vendor. So to prove his power, he makes him a race. And he does this by kind of doing like this 60s James Bond judo chop Austin Powers thing. And every time he swishes his hands, another swath of of uh, the guy's body disappears until he's all completely gone. So yeah, he erases him. Uh, not just a clever name. Anyway, we go back to Pym and uh, uh, Van Dyne. And Pym is showing... Um, Janet a PowerPoint presentation on his another thing he's developed. So not only is he giant man now, but he's completely revamped the way their powers work. Instead of two big gas canisters that have, you know, one labeled grow and one labeled shrink, now it's all pills. And he's got a bunch of pills, all different color coatings, and each color means a different size, ranging from, you know, super tiny to giant. And in addition to that, he's created a dispenser system. So, like, all you have to do is press this little button, then a yellow pill pops out. You pop the pill, you turn whatever size yellow is. Could it be easier? Now you can go back and forth all day long. This is awesome. And as Wasp is sitting in his hand, very much like the corner box, and they're, like, kind of flirting but not flirting with each other, the eraser appears because... Hank Pym is the last on his list of scientists he needs. So before Hank and Wasp can even do anything, he does his judo chop erase thing and kills them both. And the issue's over. The end. <laughs> no, actually what happens, it doesn't really erase people. It just seems like it does. What it really does is it takes them to another dimension. Very much like um, the American version of Dragon Ball Z. So apparently Earth and this other world exist in the same plane, I guess, just vibrating at different frequencies. That's because they just vibrate at different frequencies. If you want to go by, like, flash pseudoscience. So, um, and they've known about us. They're like these green, kind of weird-looking squat guys. And they've known about us for a long time, but they've never cared because we've been, like, inferior to their awesome technology. But then one day we developed the atom bomb. So then, like, 20 years later, they decided they wanted it too. And they've been kidnapping scientists in hopes that they can, like, coerce them into telling them how to make one. So they... What do they do? They, like, shoot a gun at uh, Hank and, like, wrap him up in these bands. But luckily the wasp is there, and they don't know that because she's still tiny. So she pops another pill into his mouth and he shrinks and they both run away and then they follow these guards that have like trays of food to where the uh, scientists are and then wasp like like uh you know takes out the camera and stuff and hank's like okay we're gonna find a way to get back home don't you guys worry we're on it and then they're walking around and they get caught so he decides to go giant man mode and he spent basically for like pages and pages it's like this fight of him just Going, going around their city, like, tearing them all a new one. It's kind of fun. Um, but while he's doing that, the wasp is actually doing some real work. And she comes back and says, okay, stop fighting. I figured out there's – I found a guy who knows a guy on how to, like, get us back to our dimension. So they go find that guy and Giant Man picks him up and squeezes him like a little doll. And he agrees to go take them to the lab. So Hank shrinks back down and they go to the lab. But turns out the guy – that knows how to take them back is the eraser and he's there and he flicks a lever and it puts uh, Hank Pym into a glass cage. Oh no, he's stuck forever. And he also decides the eraser decides that he's going to shoot the traitor who brought them there in the first place. Cause you know, he's a traitor. So while he's doing that, 
Wasp kind of goes, you know, if you flip the lever up and there's a glass cage, I bet if I flip it back down, the glass cage will go away. So she does that and it does go away. And then Giant Man proceeds to like grow at least a tiny bit bigger, I think, and like kind of choke the guy out. And then it turns out that it's not a magic power he has. It's actually technology that's built into his palms. It's like his little square piece with like Kirby uh, circuitry on it. And so uh, Pim just takes it, puts it on his own palm, and then, you know, uses it to swipe the uh, scientist back, swipe himself back. And then, you know, Jan and Pim hang out at the house and don't love each other happily ever after. <laughs> right. So, um... Jan was pretty great in this one. Yeah, she did all the real work, I think. I feel like Hank was just playing the entire time. A bit, yeah. It's like, look at me, I'm Giant Man now. I'm so cool, I got muscles and I'm strong. And she's like, yeah, but anyway, we did the thing, I did the thing we needed to actually do to make this story happen. And, you know, he he gets bound up, like, she stays in twice. At the beginning of the story, whenever he's, you know, in his house, and then in part way through the story, whenever he's all trapped again, mm-hmm. she's aced him twice. And then you're right. While he's just like beating stuff up, she actually figures out how to save the day. Mm-hmm. So she she rocks the house in this story. Yeah. Um, giant man, yo. He's cool. I missed the helmet already, I gotta say. Yeah. Um I like the Ant Man look. The Ant Man looks cool. It was a fun helmet. I think that like this is my default giant man look with him mm-hmm. having the two wispy antenna things, sort of the, the quick silver hair only without the hair. Um, and I think I got to know this look before I got to know the Ant-Man look. So it's back in the day, that was a transition to me. And now we're back to what I'm kind of thinking of as the original look. It's funny. He puts antenna on his forehead now that he's not shrinking into an ant. Right. That's a little bit weird. Yeah. A little, a little bit. Um, so this story is longer. It is the full 18 pages, leaving a room for only one little backup at the end, which I think works well because we get to spend a lot of time introducing the concept of Giant Man. Mm-hmm. And they're going to play this. This book goes into a very inconsistent format for a while okay. until it settles on half of it is Ant- G- Giant Man and half of it is the Hulk. So they're going to play with the format. Almost every issue is going to be a change. So right now he can grow 12 feet before he's in trouble. Yes. I feel like that won't last forever. I think you're right. Because 12 feet is not that big. It's twice as high. Um, as me. So it's, yeah, it's going to yeah. look big from a person on the ground, but it's not that big if you're like drawing action scenes. Yeah. I'm trying to think like, you know, he's probably not much taller than your average one-story building, I would think. Right. And Lily feet. brought up a good point earlier. Uh, my daughter, Lily, when I was talking to her about this comic, she said, okay, so if Henry Pym gets super small and keeps his normal size strength, mm-hmm. then when he gets super big, does he also keep his normal size strength? Apparently, because if he grows too big, he collapses and can't move. Well, I think part of that is because of, and I think I've mentioned this on, this, on the show before, there's the problem of squares and cubes. Mm-hmm. When you make something twice as big, the surface area goes up by a factor of four and the volume and therefore the weight goes up by a factor of eight. Yeah. So he may be 12 feet tall, but he's gone from like 200 pounds to like over well over a thousand pounds. Yeah. So it's, it's, he's got to have a lot more strength, I guess, just to carry his just to carry his big old mass around. Well, his muscles will be bigger. 
But then yeah. his smaller muscles don't seem to be affected by being, you know, his normal strength. So, I, yeah, it's just crazy pseudoscience that doesn't quite work, I guess. But he doesn't really lift anything of note that I can think of in this issue. Like, he's not like he's, you know, I'm, I'm huge now. I'm going to lift this two-ton whatever. Like, he's just, You're right. he's just punching people. Well, he, he lifts like eight guys. Let's see. How many guys are there? One, two, three, four, five. He lifts like six guys and throws them in a car. That seems like okay. kind of super that, strong. That's a feat of strength. And I know that like after the original Avengers team leaves the book, part of the drama is they no longer have the power of Giant Man and Thor mm-hmm. and Iron Man because those are all like, you know, considered heavy hitters. But I also think about the Ultimates, and that has nothing to do with this really, other than there was that scene where he's showing off that he's giant man and they're like, lift up that jet plane. And he's like, do you want me to throw my back out? So like, <laughs> maybe he's not super strong just cause he's big. I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's probably just inconsistently done over the years, mm-hmm. but well, it's worth, have- it's worth pointing out that if he, if he gets tiny and keeps it is super strong. Yeah. I, I imagine the limit on size is just so that they have a limit on storytelling. Yeah, that's true. Because otherwise it'd be like, well, why doesn't he grow 5,000 feet high and just smash everybody? But he does fall over. In fact, the first thing we see of him is him collapsing in the house. Mm-hmm. And later in his life, when he looks back on this period of his life, he's going to think of it as being a super clumsy beginning to his giant man career. So speaking of house, it's in New Jersey. Yeah. What's up with that? So, yeah. Before this, he was in what? Central City or something like that? Right. Center City. Center City. That's weird. Center City? Okay. That's- now, <laughs> it's just across the Hudson River, so it's like just across the border in New Jersey, but still. Yeah, I mean, he's actually at a real place now, and he has neighbors and stuff, whereas before, they never really talked about that. It just seemed like he had this awesome laboratory somewhere. Weird. I'm going to have to look more at geography of this to see if you're across the Hudson River, what does that mean in relationship to New York City? Because I remember that Susan Storm said that he was across town. And did he just out himself? Does he care? Cause, oh, I was thinking about that too. Because like he just destroyed his house as Giant Man in his Giant Man outfit and his neighbor saw it. And of course, admittedly said, what is that? And ran away. So he didn't say Hank Pym's crazy or anything. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I guess they don't care. Um, I like how Jan's love is still making him uncomfortable. Like, she shows up and she says, as far as I'm concerned, Henry Pym, I like you just the way you are. You're a perfect hug size now. And he, like, doesn't know what to do with that. He's like, be serious, Jan. I, I can't talk about that right now. I like that he's, she's amping it up because she hasn't she hadn't been doing that for a while. Um, right. She, she's just started doing it a little more recently. Mm-hmm, the last couple issues. And I don't find it obnoxious. I don't know if we're supposed to. I could, I could see if, like, someone – you know, reading this now and being like, oh, she's, they're just making her such a woman who only cares about romance. But I don't really read it that way. Like, I think she's interested in him and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think she likes to poke at him for being an old fuddy-duddy and she knows that he's interested back. Mm-hmm. But it's not like her reason for existence either. Right. I don't feel like. I mean, like like, yeah. we, like we said in the beginning, she accomplishes everything in this issue. So she's not just here to pine. She's not even pining. I wouldn't even call it pining. It's more like razzing. She just really likes him she likes him but she i think she also enjoys the fact that he fights it (laughs) (laughs) some people just like that you know that kind of flirty tension i guess yeah yeah there's uh i don't know if i've talked about this on previous episode or not there's a point later in his life like after jan has believed to be dead when he's like 
you know, I remember back in the day whenever Jan was so in love with me and then all the things I did to not deserve that love. Um, so oh. she's just, she's just really in love with him. Cause if you recall, or and by you, I mean, whoever's listening to this, she looked like his wife initially mm-hmm. who got murdered, murdered, and he also thought she was too young for him, which we both think is kind of hog swallow. But, um, uh, he doesn't ever talk about the wife thing, but if that's still canon, maybe that's why he's resisting still. Could be. Because it's weird. But he doesn't. They've just made it to where like he's like the old fuddy-duddy in the story, and that's kind of amusing. Like She has, okay. to, she has to force him to go out and have fun and stuff. And he is, he is a bit stodgy. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that, is, that is amusing for a girl who's like out there and extroverted and whatever. Um, just because I am a geography nerd, I did look it up. Um, so you know how Manhattan is on like a Long Island? Mm-hmm. Not the Long Island, but it's on a Long Island. Uh-huh. Just down the left western side of that island is the Hudson River. Oh, okay. So if you leave Manhattan going west, as soon as you cross the river, you're in New Jersey. Okay. So... Him being in New Jersey is kind of like Peter Parker being in Queens. I it's see. just right there. Yeah. Um, so it could be Center City, New Jersey. In fact, I now want to look up, see if there is a Center City, New Jersey. There might not be. Um, what did you think of the eraser? Well, I think his power is cool. I like the visual nature of it. Um, I always have. Like I said, that cover is pretty classic. I don't know why, but I feel like they use it all the time for to reference historical things. Um, so it's neat visually. I don't know. Otherwise, I feel like we've kind of had this story before in terms of like the human torch has been pulled to another planet that are going to kill us all. And I, actually, Ant-Man has been pulled to another planet by somebody, I thought, to save a bunch of scientists. He had to save a bunch of scientists before. So this is kind of regurgitation of that idea. Only now yeah, that, I can see that. Only now there's a giant man. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we ha- and we've done – yeah, you're right. We've done the abduction of scientists this is our third or fourth time now. And I think one of those was Ant-Man. I can't remember um, who it was though. I think Don Blake masqueraded as no Henry Pym masqueraded as a shot. I don't know. There've been lots of them. I believe the ants like, Oh my God. I was going to say they fired a crossbow, but maybe that was for some other issue. Anyway, boy, I remember we have, we're going to have to reread these all over again. Cause I can't remember already, but I'm pretty, yeah, I, I'm trying to lose it. I remember we commented that it didn't seem like an Ant-Man story because he went to another dimension and encountered aliens and didn't seem shocked by it. Exactly. Yeah. So this is kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. The fact that he gets to be giant man and like run all over their city makes it feel a little bit better for me. Yeah. But. And he was Ant-Man too. Um, what do you think of the pills? Cause that's new. Okay. So the power pills and how they're all like specific sizes and specific colors for different sizes. Mm-hmm. I think it's so adorable and pedantic. <laughs> like this is Henry Pym. Being so Henry Pym. Oh, yeah. And can you imagine swallowing those larger pills? Like, they've got to get these things down their throats. Um, it's just so amazing. I, I think I can see them, like, over time realizing that two-thirds of the sizes they never use, so they just stop making those pills. Yeah. Because you need, like, an inch and a foot and 12 feet. Those are the things – those are the only ones you need. Oh, and regular size. Get back to regular size, too. Yeah. I liked – I think it's better than the ca- gas canisters. I mean, already he's changing different shapes in one story, which he's never done before, really. Right. Um, it is kind of, I mean, the OCD in me likes that there's like all these labels and, you know, this does that and that does that, color coding and everything. But mm-hmm. it is a little and weird. little dispensers. To have like a superhero 
popping pills to. Yeah. And what if you're like, (laughs) what if you have a hard time swallowing pills? Like, hold on, wait a second, wait a second. I got to relax. Don't pressure me. Hold on. I'm sure they're candy coated. Down the throat. Um, I know they do away with this eventually. I don't know what their explanation is now. I think you can just do it, but. I think so. I think both of them just like internalize the power. Like they've done it so much because part of their biochemistry or whatever. Yeah. And that's much easier. I don't know if it makes any scientific sense, but it's just better than all yeah. this, than all this craziness, but uh, better than the gas canisters. And, and the, there was that one episode where it seemed like the gas canisters only had one dose at a time in them. Mm-hmm. So like you can shrink and you can grow and you've got to go home and get new gas. Yeah. That was it. So this is this is definitely better. It allows for much more dynamism. Mm-hmm. Um, so just for one second before we get too far away from the eraser. So two things about the eraser. One, it is such a trope, a science fiction trope, that disintegrators turn out to be transports. Yeah. Like so many times in science fiction, people have died left and right only to turn out to have been transmatted somewhere else. It's it's kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, also, I like to think of the seams between someone's erased and unerased portions. Like, while he's in the process of erasing them, let's say he stopped after just one or two swipes. Mm-hmm. Would that person die? Would they bleed out? Yeah. Would they walk around perfectly healthy but split between dimensions and not be able to access their stomach? I don't know. It's just It's just weird. That's true. It's not an all or nothing thing. He's got to he's got to take like multiple swipes to right. And by the way, why call him a racer if they know what it really does? Those those <laughs> tricky guys. Why not call him transporter man or something? Right, because it gives it away. That's why. That's 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 exactly why. Um, but yeah, they have the new belts that look like Spider Man belts because they have all the different pills on their belts. Uh huh. Those are cute. Um. Since the wasp can go to different sizes now, how small does she have to be to grow wings? Hmm. I want to say like if she anything just went, smaller, but anything smaller, right? That seems that seems logical because she doesn't have the wings or the antennae as a full-sized woman. She has to shrink, and then they grow spontaneously. Well, you know, when she's watching the um, PowerPoint presentation, she has antenna. Does she really? Is that just part of her outfit? Or did she shrink? Oh, they did she shrink like two inches or something? Oh wow! I'm not, I just I had noticed. I'm looking at the comic. She has the antenna sticking out of her helmet the entire time she's full sized. Mm-hmm. So that's new. That's that's a change. Yeah, but no wings. Uh, no wings. Maybe Kirby's mistaken on how the art's supposed to be. Or maybe they decided the whole she has natural antenna that sprout out is kind of creepy and gross, and they don't want to do that anymore. Do you think they did it to match his new antenna or maybe made his antenna to match hers? Because in modern comics, does Wasp grow antenna? No, she doesn't. No, so they got rid of that idea because it is creepy. Yeah. Like if you want it on your helmet, that's great because you could take it on and off. But like, I don't know. And and the idea of the helmet is that like it's electronically putting in touch with the bugs. You don't have that ability naturally. No. Right. Um. So yeah, they have – you're right. They have gone from – her antenna, and that was a story point at one time that she couldn't turn off the noises coming in from the bugs because her antenna were natural. Mm, that's right. Whereas yeah. Henry Pym could turn them down and he could keep on functioning. So head cannon, he took that out because of that issue. Oh yeah, you're right. That's exactly what he did. He's like, you know what? 
This is this was bad bio. We're gonna we're gonna <laughs> remove those cells from your forehead. Yeah, we'll just give you a helmet like I have, so you can turn it on and off like I can, just in there case. You got speakers, you got the volume switch. Okay, you're good to go now. Thank yeah, you. yeah. And she's like, finally, you hunk a Hank. Um, okay, I like that. That makes me happy. Yeah, that works. Okay, so Mike, do you remember the last time we podcasted, like years ago, the Mighty Shield and all that? Mm-hmm. Do you remember where Captain America was sent? Was sent? Like where he went to, where he like found the sun and Baron and like like Baron Zemo and all that. No, that was Dimension Z. He spends like ten years oh. in Dimension Z. Remember that? Oh, you mean modern comics? I was like thinking sixties. Yeah. Like where did he go? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, oh no, this is comics. this world. Is that it? That's it. Well, apparently there are two different Dimension Zs. Oh, I don't God. know if they're irreconcilable, but this place is called Dimension Z, and it shows up a handful of times over the years. And then Baron Zemo's place was Dimension Z. He might just call it Z because he's Zemo. I believe that's... In which case it's... I believe he built that world. It's probably Dimension Z because he's German. Dimension Z. Yeah, I think he created that world, if I remember correctly. But I don't remember how. And Uh, for anyone who's wondering, that's the Captain America series that started at the end of 2012. Yeah. Whenever they were doing the first, like, um, all-new Marvel thing. I can't remember the Um, writer, but it was John Romita Jr. doing art. And he had a kid. Right. Was it... It wasn't Nick Remender, was it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was the beginning of Nick Remender. Yeah, it was this big, long offshoot of him not being part of the Marvel Universe and every day getting like beat up more and more and more and then having a kid and living in this world for 8 billion years and stuff. It's kind of interesting. Right. And Sharon died. Sharon died or then. got old. She got old and then later died when they came back. Yeah. She's probably alive again. I don't know. I haven't checked in. <laughs> probably. Um, so on page 7, we have... Panel three, although we monitored you for centuries, you are much too primitive to be of any interest to us. In fact, we were amused by your savage antics. And of course, for the savage antics, they had the Native Americans on screen. Right. So aliens are racist. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, (laughs) And somehow we're like less advanced, but they need our atomic power. Yeah. Like suddenly we pass and we're like, ooh, they've passed us. We need their power. Maybe time is not a constant when these two, uh, whatever. Times a variable. I don't know. Like, how did we get past them? Or are we past them? Because they seem to have a lot of awesome technology we don't have. I think a common concept in sci-fi is that we were never ready for the bomb. We were never ready for atomic power. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever Jan saves him, at the top of page nine, he's griping about it. She says, hmm, next time I'll let you stay tied up, you big old grouch. He says, a billion females in the world. I had to pick that exquisite empty head for a partner. And I'm thinking that she is doing exactly what you seemed to be intending. She was, I mean, you were trying to get out. of. I don't know. I don't know. I don't like the way he treats her in this. He did call her exquisite though. Yeah, he did. He does. He does like Jan. Totally. He can't voice it. He can't, he can't say it out loud and not because his dad is forbidding him. (laughs) No, because his wife, his the haunting ghost of his dead wife, murdered wife. Yeah. Right. I don't know which which is a better reason for keeping your feelings to yourself because daddy says no or because you're conflicted about your dead spouse. Well, when dad's Odin, I don't know. I feel like that's a pretty big one you should listen to maybe. But uh, maybe the dead spouse is pretty weak, especially since he never talks about it. There was an alien dog in this. And I don't know what his name is, but he is a good boy. Yes, there was. He reminded me of the whale in Fantastic Four number four. (laughs) Yes, the Giganto. Giganto. (laughs) <laughs> the whale with arms. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He does look like a tiny dog versus a giganto. Yeah. How weird. That's fun. 
Um, and then page uh, 11, the third panel. I'll explain as we go. You see that small electronic device in the ceiling? Dismantle it! And she says, what a bossy husband you'd make. Hmm. And I said, yes. Yes, he would. <laughs> well, she would like it. At least for a while. He could have asked. He could have been like, could you go dismantle that, honey? Because, you know, tip to everyone in a relationship. Sometimes it's not what you're saying. It's how you're saying it. You just change but your phrasing. They're not in good. a relationship. He's Batman. She's Robin. He has to do, she has to do what he says. Or he's Batman and she's Batgirl. I, yeah, except they've never really been partners, have they? No, but I was thinking of Robin as like automatically, inherently lesser than Batman. Right. That's what he's thinking of the Wasp. <laughs> oh, I see. She's not. No, but that's she's how not. he sees her. Right. And no one called him Ant-Man. Like the name Ant-Man, I don't think was used in the entire story. Even whenever he's like a foot tall talking to all these scientists, they don't call him Ant-Man. Well, he's not wearing his helmet, so they don't know who he is. That's true. He doesn't have his his classic look. Um, And there's the one guy who's like a tiny flying girl. I'm going nuts. So is, is the wasp like a secret? Does the public not know what the wasp is yet? Well, she is new, and maybe not all these people are from Center City. I don't know. Um, maybe does he 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 does he even call himself anything until t- page twelve? That's when Giant Man is born in terms of name. Yes, yeah. that's where he becomes Giant Man. So I wonder how many more times he's going to shrink at all because that'll just confuse the issue probably. Uh, that's a good point. I think they're going to stay away from shrinking for a while. I seem to remember that being the trend in the first few giant man stories. Cause, um, this is, this is right around the time that Lily and I stopped releasing episodes. Like I think the last episode that we, um, released was Thor and the lava man. Mm-hmm. We did do a few more recordings. So I've read like a couple more of these giant man stories relatively recently mm-hmm. as in five years ago. Or three years ago. Um, so I kind of feel like that's what happens, but I don't remember specifically. You can't call yourself Giant Man and then keep shrinking. I mean, you have to call yourself right. Size Changing Man or something. So, <laughs> And they already got, you know, Wasp. I, I ultimately like that he's Giant Man now, even though, again, I kind of missed the helmet and all that. But, like, since Wasp has the power of shrinking, now she can do that exclusively and he can do something different. That's her shtick. And there's also the really cool panels of him like having this ridiculously huge face and her being little and tiny on his nose and him smiling and stuff. And those are all adorable. Those are pretty freaking adorable. You are right. And I, I, I like the idea of him like punching stuff mm-hmm. while she goes and figures out the answers to the, to the problems. Mm-hmm. I like that idea. Yeah. She's the Batman of the group now. <laughs> yeah, she is. <laughs> and he's like the Superman. I guess. Yeah. Ugh. okay the last thing i had on this is that uh well two last things is that page 17 um they totally shoot the old dude like the eraser totally kills him Mm -hmm. so sergeant fury is not the only book of people getting shot and killed right but he's just an alien so it's okay and um and lastly on the newspaper i'm sorry i went quiet on mine for a second go ahead say that i said uh but he's just an alien so it's okay yes it's he's just an alien doesn't matter and the newspaper on the uh, last page, it says, who is Giant Man? But no one wants to know about the Wasp. So that's another reason why I'm wondering if she's not public. It's possible. I mean, I mean, she saved the city with him. Well, she did nothing in her debut, really. But she was there. She was there. But she was tiny. So yeah, that's the thing. Like, how many, how many, can these people even see whoever it is that's saving them from aliens and stuff? Um, 
I think about the Cyclops story. She made herself very well known there, but yeah, that was Greece. way away from the city. Yeah. So she hasn't really done it. She didn't do anything in Avengers 1, sadly. So yeah, maybe she just hasn't made a name for herself yet. Well, that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. We need to fix that. Yeah. But that's all I had for this issue. Yeah. Should we move on to our third and final book for the episode? Oh, we have to, right? Uh, we at, at some point. We can either do it now or next time, but I, I think we should get out of the way. Yeah, let's do it. So Strange Tales 114. This takes us into our second week of release in August. So it's August 8th, 1963. And it's Captain America Yay. returning to challenge the Human Torch. Finally. Finally. Gosh, I've been waiting for Captain America to show up, and here he is. Yeah, what could go wrong? Nothing at all. See the torch soar to new heights of greatness. Um, okay, so this story opens with Torch running through his uh, obstacle course, and his friends are running out. Hey, Torch, guess what? And he's like, oh, I can't stop! And he uh, almost pummels into them and kills them all with fire. But his sister has her wits about her, so she turns on the water, and it sprays down the torch. He turns into a big old wet boy and collapses with other boys. And they're like, okay, well, guess what? Captain America's back. He's been missing for years, ever since the war. Back in my day, Captain America was all over the place. Well, now he's back, and he's going to make his grand debut first world appearance at the Antique Roadshow in Glenville. (laughs) <laughs> so nothing suspect about that that's the thing that's happening um so johnny storm goes over and he's like i wonder where captain america has been we haven't seen or heard anything about him it's almost like stanley didn't know if he could make a comic successful about captain america huh okay and then um some bad guys drive by in a car and start shooting things up and captain america leaps out of nowhere and it's like, I, it's my, it's a, this is a, like, this looks like a job for Captain America. And he takes down the bad guys in the car, um, uses his shield to smack them around a little bit. Um, the torch shows up and tries to help. And Captain America beats him away. He says, you know, get out of here, you fiery freakazoid. And um, I think the cops arrest the bad guys and everyone's happy to see Captain America and Torch flies away thinking, man, they didn't like me. They just like Captain America. I'm so useless. I think I'm just going to go burn somewhere. So he goes to his girlfriend's house because he needs some lifting up of his morale. And uh, Doris Evans is chilling out in her house with a Captain America magazine. <laughs> and he's like, oh, man, you like Captain America, too? And she's like, you know, he, he's kind of hot. So, yeah. He's like, oh, man, you think he's hot? Take a look at this. I just made up that whole hot transition there. That was pretty clever, though, I thought. And he turns into a fiery guy, and Doris is like, oh my gosh, Johnny, you are burning down my house. Stop it. Get out. If you can't control your fire, I don't want you around. And so he walks away, leaving little flaming footsteps in her carpet. Um, And then what does he do? He flies around to burn off some steam. Burn off some steam. Captain America, meanwhile, releases the bad guys from jail. And we don't know why is he doing this. Why is Captain America releasing the bad guys from jail? It's all part of his plan. And so the torch, um, let's see. He goes after, was it the same bad guys or different bad guys? Same ones. 
same same bad guys. Somehow he finds the bad guys. Nate goes after the same bad guys, and they get arrested again. And Captain America, meanwhile, steals the money from a bank. And Torch is like, oh my gosh, Captain America is stealing money from a bank. I'm going to go after him. Uh, Captain America somehow gets up inside a spaceship and like starts heading off in, towards space. And Torch manages to knock him out of it. And they fight in the city for a while. And Captain America does a pretty good job of, you know, dancing around and, and using mop buckets to, to <laughs> save him and everything else. And um, at one point, he's douses a mop bucket on the Torch. And the Torch is like, ugh. I hate water. It always turns me back into Johnny Storm. God, stop doing that. Uh, some random gender comes up and says, "Here, Shiny, here's a space heater. It can it can dry you out, and you can be the torch again." And he's like, "Okay, thanks." Flame on, and he goes after Captain America, who by this time is in a truck, and the back of the truck is asbestos lined. So he captures the torch inside the truck, but the torch like burns his way out of it anyway. Traps Captain America in a fiery ring of fire, the ring of fire, and he pulls Captain America's mask off. And interestingly enough, he expected to see Steve Rogers' face because he knows that in the World War II comics, Captain America was always pretended to be Steve Rogers. But it's not Steve Rogers, it's dun dun dun, the acrobat from issue like 106 or something, the torrid twosome, whenever the torch decided to quit the Fantastic Four and go have a love affair with a bad guy who acted like a good guy and just got Johnny to rob a bank for him and Johnny fell for it. That one. That guy. That guy. So the story ends with Torch thinking, I wonder if Captain America will ever come back and see us. Huh. The end. Probably not. (laughs) Probably not. So I'm going to get the one positive thing I have to say about this story out of the way. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Even though it's not really Captain America, Kirby, Captain America, 60s, is just a great combination. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, he's essentially drawing him like he is Captain America. And I just love the way Kirby, he's great at making Thor fight, and he's great at uh, how he renders cat fighting. I just love them both. Yeah. Those are like his characters. Now, you've mentioned this a few before. This is the first time we've, this is not the first time we have podcasted this story. No. Do you feel that the story feels different with a shift in focus? Like we're not focusing on Cap, we're like on the whole Marvel Universe. I remember we had a really long discussion over whether Johnny and Sue thought Cap was real or not. Oh. Because we didn't – because Sue in this story kind of acts – calls him a comic magazine hero and storms off, right? She has no interest in this idea that he's real or back. Um, And so you and I were like wondering – because then at the end, he's talking about Steve Rogers and comic books, and you and I were wondering if they were intending for him to be real or if he was always supposed to be a comic character. But this is when we had we had no Fantastic Four under our belt that did the same thing with Submariner. Yes, not only did it do the same thing with Submariner, or but Hulk. also, and the Fantastic Four. Right. Like Susan Storm says, you mean that's what you interrupted us for? To talk about an old comics magazine hero? You know what you are, Susan Storm? You are a comics magazine hero. <laughs> Yeah, that's the one line that makes kind of no sense because they're not saying we're talking about the comic hero. We're saying we're talking about the dude. He's back. And she knows that, well, see, now we're going to debate this again. Does she think that he's real? She must because everybody agrees that Submariner was real. Okay, so maybe, okay, maybe to her, the term comics magazine hero doesn't mean fictional character. Maybe it means a hero 
that has mm. been dra- dramatized in the comics. And maybe the word that is that getting the emphasis here is the word old, like some old adventure hero rather than something current and important. Yeah, but when Submariner showed up, who's also old, she's like, a man, and went crazy. So A man? So it's like, geez, I hope that like Steve never finds out what her reaction was to <laughs> his supposed return, because it sure wasn't very good. No, no, it wasn't. Um, or it's interesting maybe she was st- the only one amongst this group that was smart enough to realize that Steve Rogers wouldn't debut his return at Glenville Road Show or something. Yeah, the Glenville Auti- Antique Roadshow. Is, yeah. Is, yeah. 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 Um, side note, this story is extended. It's 18 pages, which for some reason I had in my head that the torch never does. But it is longer in here, and he does get some extensions. Um, so Johnny has read Captain America comics, mm-hmm. and Johnny has read Submariner comics. Mm-hmm. We still have no reference, though, although it would make complete sense for him to do so, to Johnny reading Human Torch comics. And admitting that that's where he got his name. That was the same thing Lily said, that, like, maybe that's where he chose his name, just like the Flash. Right. He realized he had fire powers. He knew about the Human Torch comics. And he's like, I'm I'm the Human Torch. That'd be really cool. That would have been cool. I'd have been down for him to, you know, pay homage to that. So especially since the real one's not around anymore. Right. For whatever reason. Although, although maybe that's actually why they haven't mentioned Human Torch comics, because that's exactly what DC did with The Flash, that they feel like they shouldn't try to copy. I don't know. I feel like they're just really like tiptoeing in everything they're doing, right down to bringing in superheroes in general. But it seems like they're tiptoeing around the Golden Age, too. Like, bringing back Subby has worked for them. So now there's this whole issue where it's clearly just an excuse to see if anybody cares about Captain America anymore. Right. And then from there, I don't know. I guess they'd never try it with Human Torch until, geez, West Coast Avengers in the 90s or something? Um, the Human Torch has – the original Human Torch has some appearances before that. Oh. But I don't think he's ever a regular character. I think – actually, it's before the West Coast. It's the Invaders. Well, that's flashback stuff though, isn't it? Yeah, it's not modern day, but it's the first regular use of the Human Torch right. in modern But how comics. come – it's kind of amazing to me they didn't try and bring back a robot who – is immortal, except that now they have Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, so you don't want two Human Torches. So that answered that question. Yeah. Okay. That might be part of the reason, too. Um, also, I think, because Johnny's asking the same question, why aren't they bringing back Captain America? It's possible that they're not sure how to tell Captain America stories without a World War II backdrop. Especially since his last appearance was not so kosher, probably. By this point? Yeah, the 50s against the communists, right? Captain America Commie Smasher, that was the cover. Yeah, so I guess that works in the 50s, but maybe they're trying not to do that in the 60s. Yeah, and we Um, could talk about that big retcon in Avengers 4, but um, yeah, that could be wise. Like, they just don't know how to deal with it. Right. And they come up with this really awesome idea that is like the biggest Marvel retcon ever for so far, but uh, not quite yet. We should talk about the um, costume. (laughs) The red trunks? Red trunks, which are also blue on the cover. So, like, they're red and blue. It's a weird-looking violet. Uh-huh. Oh. He has no back stripes. Oh, I did not notice that. In fact, there's one panel where it's a side shot and his arm's up. So you can see where the stripes stop. <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting is, like, I believe his original costume with the triangle shield had no back stripes, too. And then throughout the Golden Age, stripes are very inconsistent. On both the shield oh. and the torso. 
And I think at some point they retcon the whole spoilers, everybody. There's multiple Captain Americas. They retcon eventually. And right. they explain away some of those inconsistencies, which doesn't work at all, but I still like it. They explain, hey, remember that time that Cap had a blue circle on his as a stripe on one of his shields? That was a that was the other Captain America. And remember that time he had no back stripes? That was another Captain America. Well, the the blue stripe in the like a uh, uh, white, blue, white, red. Mm-hmm. That was the standard shield for a lot of the early issues. I know, but now when they flash back, when it's Steve Rogers flashing back to being Cap, mm-hmm. it's the traditional "let's not mess with this" red, white, red star format. Right. But then when it's like, uh, you know, the Spirit of '76 or the Patriot or something like that, they'll give that one of those guys the blue one just to kind of give you a nudge, nudge, wink, wink to the Golden Age, I guess. Yeah, I don't really like that because it really doesn't work with the actual comics that were there, like like in big ways. But it, it doesn't really matter. It's it's cool they tried. Um, so the fact that his shorts are red, mm-hmm. I would I wish that had been like a really big clue that that wasn't the real Captain America. Except in the end, whenever he has the Captain America comics out and he's thinking about Captain America, the shorts are red. I didn't notice that. That sucks. But you know what? That's Interesting though. Let's throw some headcanon at that. Maybe in the comics they're always red. Yeah. So, so uh, the acrobat just copied the comics. Yeah, maybe the comics got it wrong because the comics are just dramatizations. Mm-hmm. So, um, see, I've always been proud that you know Cap doesn't wear underwear on the outside of his costume, mm-hmm. even though he has baggy stuff around his crotch, kind of. But yeah, it looks weird when he's he's wearing the Superman thing. Right. So. Dory is a new character. She came in last issue and she's in this issue again. And she's a little bit harder to defend as far as how she kind of mistreats Johnny a little bit. But I do think that she should be allowed to speak her mind without getting her house destroyed. Johnny is kind of reinforcing her opinion of his antics here. Well, what we know about her so far is she hates that he's a superhero. And then he comes home and she's like Gaga over a superhero. And he's like, "Um, but you're the... I, boyfriend, superhero, don't like that. But that guy, superhero, you like that? And she's like, well, he's different. He's hot. And then, yeah, he got mad. (laughs) So mad that he boils over his soda. And then ruins her new linoleum. Right. (laughs) Linoleum. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so the acrobat actually has a couple other appearances. And one of them is in... A series that I guess is like a flashback series called Captain America Sentinel of Liberty, uh-huh. number 11. Yeah. And, there, and in that story, the, t- the title of the story is something like, hello, hello, can I get some new linoleum? Uh-huh. And it's like Human Torch telling Cap about this tale, right? Or something like that? I think so. Um, I looked it up. I didn't actually read the story, but I did kind of look up a, a, a synopsis of it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Shortly after the real Cap is revived, the acrobat Zanti escapes from prison again. Oh. Uh, figuring the, the real Cap would want to go at the man who impersonated him, the Torch calls Cap up mm-hmm. and tells about you know the previous adventure. They go after the acrobat, and after they finally catch him, Cap looks Zanti in the eye and refuses to believe that anyone ever believed that this two-bit hood was him. Right. I remember that vaguely. You remember that story? I remember okay. that, yeah. There was also a story. I don't know. I think there's maybe more than one acrobat. Is there more than one acrobat? Is that a legacy character? Um, eh, but anyway, at some point, the acrobat sports like purple, I think. 
and he and Cap were going around. So I don't know if that's the same acrobat or a different. I can't remember why they were just going around. But I remember this panel where like the acrobat's on a tightrope, much like he is on page eight here. And then Captain America goes down that same rope, but like riding his shield like a unicycle kind of not, not, not like a unicycle, like a barrel. Like just to show that he's even better. <laughs> it's I kind could, of insane. I could be that issue. I, 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 I've not read the issue, so it could be that one. I think it was more in the eighties, but I don't know. I'll have to find that out and do something about it. But and there was one very recent appearance of the acrobat in Avengers number four from the Mark Wade series that is going like just the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, evidently, he uh, like was pretending to be Hawkeye in order to make Hawkeye look bad, and he committed a crime. And so the Daily Bugle reported it as being Hawkeye, and that made some person who's trying to cast aspersion on Hawkeye happy. Boy. Uh, so He's got a real, like, shtick going, doesn't he? Yes. It's like, if you know an acrobatic superhero that needs to be tarnished, I'm your man. Yeah, that's what he does. Mm-hmm. It's his thing. He's like, they're like, how about Black Widow? Darn it! <laughs> um, so, speaking of that, that's one problem I have with this story is... Why does he need to be Captain America? Like, what benefit was that for him? Yeah, I don't know. Nothing. He needed these guys to escape from jail to cause a distraction so he could be over there while they're over here. But it seems like you could have made that happen without arresting them as Cap and then going as Cap, by the way, not as somebody else, to free them and then robbing the place as Cap. Like, none of that had to be as Cap. None of it, really. You could have just had them doing anything as a distraction. In fact, this entire story could have started at the bottom of page nine with them renting the race car or the Ferrari or whatever Mm -hmm. and getting the cops after them and him going in and robbing the bank. Yeah. Everything in the first nine pages didn't need to happen. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So other than the fact that it's cool because it's Captain America, it's like, but, you know, whatever. He's He's even sad that he's doing it. On the bottom of page 12, he says... It's a shame to tarnish the glorious Captain America legend, the legend of heroism and self-sacrifice, but legends don't pay off. And it's hard for someone like me to resist the lure of big money. He's like, I don't really want to be messing with Captain America, but I got to for this. Now, there is a tight-up like, guard there. Is Maybe his idea is to just really throw them off the trail. But I, eh, I don't know. You just wear a mask. What's the difference? Yeah. I mean, uh, specifically, not necessarily a Captain America mask. Yeah, you'd think, if anything, that would just draw more attention. Everywhere you went, people would be like, Captain America. Um, Everywhere I go, people stop and they see. And then the other thing, and I remember specifically talking about this on the Mighty Shield, is why does he need to rob a bank when he can afford a freaking NASA spaceship getaway (laughs) thing? This thing must cost millions of dollars, 1963 dollars. Right. And this is just like his getaway plan that he is willing to destroy. How much did he rob? You know, like, oh, my God. Once I reach my floating sky platform. Yeah. He has a floating sky platform, Mike. That he blows up just to get away. Just, yeah. So that was a million, you know, $20 million just for five seconds. So um, the only other things I have in this are page 17, panel five. Captain America forgot one thing. In an enclosed area like this, the flame energy is turned to gas. And gas, forming a compression in such an airtight space, must find some way to expand, causing an explosion powerful enough to shatter a... And I was like, wait, wait. 
Wait. <laughs> Wait. Your flame energy is being turned into gas? That that doesn't make any sense. And yes, heated up gas will expand, but it's only going to cause a rupture if you're like in an airtight compartment, and most trucks aren't. Well, and also, I was taught that one of the ways to kill fire is to deprive it of oxygen. So if if he is in an airtight compartment, then he's going to run out of fire. Yeah, he'd just burn it up, and then he'd be kaput, I, I would think, but... I've never been to torch before, Mike. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe if that's just like a campfire versus a supernova fire. I don't know. And the only other thing was the fact that Captain America supposedly has a secret identity. But hey, the comics spoil all that. So, well, I was thinking about that, and I'm going to be a bad cat fan here, and not quite remember. So we'll remember together. But I think for a long time he just was the guy who worked for Shield, and everybody kind of knew him because you know he's been dead. So they probably could release those records. Or at least the mili- oh. at least the military knew who they hired, or you know, experimented on. And it wasn't until like more the eighties when Mark Grenwald came around and really wanted him to be like a Superman kind of guy. So that, uh-huh. then they put him in to upper or lower East Manhattan or something like that. And he had a, he had like an apartment with a girlfriend and neighbors, and he had a day job drawing his own comic and all that stuff. But like in the sixties and stuff, it seems like he's just an agent of Shield essentially. And I don't think he has like a personal life that is guarded. And, yeah. and now he doesn't again. So that I know of. Well, it would make sense that he, he comes back into the world and everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's Captain America, Private Steve Rogers. Here he is. Mm-hmm. And he, cause yeah, for a long time as Captain America, he has no personal life. That like is something he wrestles with for years and years in his own series is who is he outside of the mask? Cause he's always just Captain America. Yeah. Like Spider-Man. Well, not quite as young as Spider-Man, but he's been a superhero for a long time, like 18 on up, right? Or something. Right, right. And then also, I think we talked about in The Mighty Shield, just to go back to Old Holmes Week here, that even his identity as Steve Rogers in the Golden Age comics seemed rather pointless most of the time. More like it was uh, using the trope because it had to, not because... Because they needed a Clark Kent comic thing to happen. That was just the thing that everyone, like once Superman showed up, everyone started using that model. Yeah. There was like no point to plant him there as a bumbling oaf that got yelled at by his sergeant when he could just be Captain America all the time. Or. I mean, it was occasionally useful as like a storytelling starting point. mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. Steve Rogers, that may be one downside of the characters. There's never been a lot of Steve Rogers. Like, if you're a Spider-Man fan because you love Peter Parker, and I've heard many Spider-Man fans say stuff like that, like, I would read Peter Parker even if he didn't have powers, you know? Like, you, mm-hmm. you don't really get that from Steve Rogers so much. No. And never have. Remember whenever he becomes Commander Steve? But Steven then, he's still working. He's a worker. Right. He likes to work. If you like guys with square jaws who like to be soldiers and punch people and solve problems, then Captain America is your man. That's your guy. Yeah. If you like angst and teenage drama, look elsewhere. (laughs) And if you like black magic. Oh, God. Yeah. So we have one teeny tiny last story left to cover. (laughs) Yep. The five pages in the back of Strange Tales are the return of, well, two people. Doctor Strange, Master of Black Magic, and the omnipotent Baron Mordo. When I was young, I pronounced it omnipotent. (laughs) You know what? I think I did, too. I can cover this really fast, though. It's easy. Just read the last two stories and then say ditto. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it's not like that. It kind of is, but okay. No. I thought this was like much better than the previous two. Okay. Okay. So Doctor Strange, who of course is our beloved Bendy Straw Creamsicle from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, he, okay. Only an Asian His version. story opened. Yeah, but Asian. Yeah. Um, the story opens up with Doctor Strange getting a phone call from a friend named Bentley. He's like this this British dude, and um, Doctor Strange has to go to London to help him. And so he does. He goes to London and shows up at the guy's castle. Hello, Bentley, are you here? And he gets caught in like an energy field. And there's Baron Morda, who has used magic to make Doctor Strange his prisoner. And there's a candle. And just like the Green Ranger in Jew Ranger, once the candle burns down, it's going to extinguish his life. Um, so Doctor Strange is like, well, crap. I wasn't really watching for Baron Mordo. Now I'm stuck here. So Mordo leaves. Ha ha ha. I'm going to rule the world. And Doctor Strange sends out his message to the Ancient One, who gets a name in here as the Ancient One. And the Ancient One's like, yo, my son, how can I help? And Doctor Strange is like, can I marry a mortal, Dad? No. That's not what happens at all. Um, Doctor Strange is like, so I'm trapped in this thing and I need help. Um... So, what should I do? And I forget exactly what he does. No. Um, oh, yeah, I, they decide that he's going to use black magic to save himself, because that's the point of the story. So, he sends out a black, mas- black magic like summons to the nearest person, who turns out to be Bentley's daughter living the next house over. I guess she wanted to get away from dad, but not so far away that she can't use his laundry machines. Mm-hmm. So, um, she's there, and she's like, oh, my gosh, I must be hearing things. I hear this this strange British man calling to me in an American accent. He's such a piercing eyes, too. Sorry, I got caught up in, in Benedict. Um, and she goes and sees Doctor Strange. She's like, oh, I'll release you. I think she has to blow out the candle, which releases him, doesn't kill him. I forget what. Anyway, so like, oh, okay, thank you so much for releasing me. She's like, I feel drawn to you. Like, like I'm supposed to be some important character in your series but i'm not it's weird <laughs> and then um baron mordo shows up ha, ha ha i've returned to find you free but i will capture you again and um dr strange is like well you would if i were really dr strange and baron mordo's like what he's like yeah dude I've been on a plane for the last five hours. I had to fly here from New York. The Doctor Strange that you've been tormenting this entire time wasn't the real Doctor Strange. I'm the real Doctor Strange. And we're going to have a battle of wits on the astral plane. That would be really, really cool if this were like 10 issues later and you had more pages to like do some stuff on the astral plane. We only have one panel. So bam, you're beaten. And um, the woman's like, huh, that's pretty impressive. And he's like, yeah. You want to come see my etchings? <laughs> and um, she says, can I be your student? And he's like, oh, wait, no, you can't. Because you're a random woman. You're not going to be in my comic series for like five years. So sorry. Bye. And Ancient One is like, better watch out. Baron Morda might actually be stronger than you. And Dr. Strange is like, well, crap. The end. Yeah. So, you know, it's a little more involved than the other two, but it's still like, Psychic fighting with Mordo and the Ancient One kind of around. I don't know. 
I need more, I guess. I guess the girl is interesting, but if she goes nowhere, then whatever. Yeah. Well, we are going to get more pages, and there will be more stories. It's just a five-page thing. I thought that these five pages were significantly more interesting yeah. than the nightmare story. Yeah, yeah. But the problem with it is the gigantic fake-out mm-hmm. undercuts the entire story to that point. Because he wasn't even trapped by the candle, so why call her? Yeah. Why was Doctor Strange calling the Ancient One for help, calling to Bentley's daughter for help? And turns out, by the way, Bentley was dead. Yes. So whenever Doctor Strange got the call from Bentley, he's like, huh, my old friend from years ago. What does he want? Well, the reason he hasn't called in years is because he's been dead for 10 years. And that was a, a compliment that Mordo is uh, actually very powerful because he was amazed that he didn't, couldn't tell that it wasn't really Bentley. Right. He, he's really good at doing voices. Hey, Doctor Strange, come see me in London. Oh, wait, with my London accent. Hello, Doctor Strange. Please come. No, sorry. And actually, um, the Ancient One, he doesn't ask him for help. The Ancient One offers help. Oh, and he says, so the Ancient One just calls him up. And he says, you know what? You're going to be dead soon. I got to learn to deal with this stuff of my own. So uh, I'll just figure it out. Yeah. Even though he already had it figured out. Um, like you said at the beginning of the recap, Doctor Strange continues to be depicted with some of the not-so-great comic book art shortcuts mm-hmm. for Asian features. Um, and it's worth mentioning here because next issue, it's going to be different for one issue. And then we're back to this again. Right. Um, but yeah, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange, everybody. I liked it, but it, it, it is a pretty small story and it has a big flaw. Pretty small story has a big flaw. And once again, it's the third story in a row where they're not really there. So, at some point, you know, like like they all just sit in their lounge chairs fighting each other, I guess. It's kind of... Yeah, he was like dueling with Nightmare in the Nightmare world. Mm-hmm. And then, he and, what did he and Baron Mordo do last they time? Was astral, astral projection. Fight? Astral projection okay. fighting. So, it's like, you know, get on in there and get your fist bloody at some point. That'd be nice. That'd be good. And stop fighting Baron Mordo all the time. Because that'd also be all good. All the frickety fracking time. Yeah. Okay. Well, while I get some thank yous up, do you want to tell people where they can find us? You can find us at makeoursmarvel.com, which will have all the links you need for our social sites, which is down to Google Plus, where we have one follower, The Hammer Strikes, who is also our Asgardian advisor on the show today. Um, And then mostly Facebook and Twitter. A lot of Twitter, I think. Some Facebook. Um, But they're there for your convenience whichever one you prefer there's also the rss feed and ways other ways to subscribe and then there's a contact form which you can use to write us in every once in a while we do a mail show where we respond to all your all your letters that you write in to tell us what we're getting wrong which we very much appreciate because i'm can guarantee we're getting things wrong so let's hear it um or you can just write us directly at podcast at makearsmarvel.com all right and um, trying to figure out where I left off in the followers list. We've had quite a few followers Yay. recently. So um, let's see. I think I've mentioned Amazing Spider Talk that was Superior Spider Talk. Oh, that, yeah, that she podcast did. podcast that's out there. Uh-huh. Okay. So Derek Bandera also is following us. Doesn't have anything in his profile, but thank you, Derek, for the follow. Um, our um, guest who as we're recording this was like two weeks ago, but as you're hearing this was months and months ago, Donovan Grant was on to talk to us about the first Spider-Man film. And who knows by now, maybe he's been on to talk to us about the second Spider-Man film. (laughs) (laughs) So Donovan dropped us a follow. Welcome Don. Um, I hope you're liking the show. Let me know if you're listening. 
we have comic book cage match. Every week we pick four new books and decide which one we like the best. And that's a podcast. You can follow that at CBCM podcast. Chris and Reggie's cosmic treadmill at cosmic T mill, the best in oddball comics history and comic book reenactments every week. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah. I did that once. Gal- it was really fun. And then I thought we should do a podcast about that, but then we didn't do it. A reenactment? Yeah, we reenacted, uh, me and Mike Bradley reenacted the uh, Batman origin because it was only like three pages. Oh, yeah. And it was really fun. And I thought we should do that all the time for various comics. But yeah. Well, my um, my sixth episode of All the Pouches and Image Comics podcast, available at johnreadscomics.com, um, was over all of the Image Comics that came out. And I think it was September 1992. Mm-hmm. And all of the ones that came out were Spawn number four. And that's it. So after <laughs> I got, ta- got done talking about Spawn number four, which was very exposition heavy, I didn't have a whole heck of a lot to say about it, except yay answers. Um, I decided to do a dramatic reading of the comic. Nice. So the back end of that episode, I, I read the comic with voices and everything. And we'll see how people like that. Um, so next we have gal walks into a comic shop. This is a Twitter feed for the podcast. A gal walks into a comic shop. Bob knows comics. Barbara never read them in her life. And weekly we podcast about it. That's at gal walks. That we have Andrew. Sounds sorry. That sounds familiar, but okay. Um, yeah, maybe they unfollowed and refollowed. I don't know. So Andrew Kane is a presenter on Big Hits Radio.uk, an HGV driver from Newton, Newtown. Word, New, that's an interesting word. Northern Ireland. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. Your friendly neighborhood comic book dude. At comic book dude, only dude is spelled D-0-0-D. Ah. Uh, he's a drunk Pete member. So he, he um, gets online with Spider-Man fans and there's a book or two books they talk about every week while they get drunk. Nice. So it's like it's like a Twitter conversation by among a whole bunch of other people. You follow the hashtag, and you're there with people talking about Spider-Man. It's like drunk history, but with comics. But with comics. John Dredge, at John Dredge, comedian, musician, radio presenter. Um, Blind Mind Comics, with an X on the end. Comics and Doodles by me, Jason Parker. Then Make Mind Marvel uh, is the tagline for Gavin Lowe, who follows us. Bill Bear is a fan of comic books, movies, and the Miami Dolphins. Mm. He's the co-creator and host of Too Old, Too New. Those are the number two. So the number two, old, number two, new. If you follow that at Twitter, you should be able to find that. And finally, um, a guy who's rich. And he's a pissed off lefty and a comic book fan. So same, Rich. Same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there we all. We've been... <laughs> We're getting lots of new followers Good. over at the Twitters. Awesome. Which makes me happy. Um, we always appreciate retweets on Twitter whenever you have the time to do that. Um, I think we've had a couple of new likes over on Facebook. J.A. Flood and James Patrick. Welcome to the family over at Facebook. And Kirk Greenfield follows us at fa- on Facebook. So, hello. Who are the two guys that like consistently retweet on facebook all the time it's um daniel doherty daniel doherty is always sharing us on facebook and kevin mason is a big well i uh, reshare as well i think facebook keeps asking me to invite daniel doherty to like us on facebook yeah which is weird right right like how could he not already have liked us he he re he not retweets 
he uh, I don't know what you say on Facebook. He shares shares on Facebook consistently every time. So that is really weird. Yeah. But Daniel, um, but if you haven't liked us, why don't you like us? I'm not going to send you an invite because that's obnoxious. But I'm almost positive that he like I looked it up to verify that he does actually like uh, you know have a like on Facebook. Yeah, I don't get it. Anyway, maybe he's only following, but I don't think that's true. Hmm. No, our our, our only fo- we only have three only followers. Those are Greg Barr, Demare Webb, and Kirk Greenfield. Why don't they like us? I don't know. Hmm. Not that you have to like us, but I'm curious. What is the what is the rationale between about following and not liking? I don't know. I just don't. I don't know the difference. I am curious. Okay, so long list of people um, who've joined the social media community, you know, conversation. Thank you so much. Retweets and shares are always welcome. And um, I guess we'll be back next time. So until Henry Pym becomes Ultron. Make ours marvel.